Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Unsolved Mysteries. deference to people who may still be living, character names in some of these true unsolved mysteries have been changed. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined locks to part and each particular hair stand on end. So spoke the ghost of Hamlet's father. But the words might well have been applied to the horror of Bena Deberley. Part of darkest Africa, a tiny nameless village not far from Benedebene. The village but a small clearing fighting off the ever-engulfing jungle. The jungle, dark, mysterious, full of fearful sounds and fuller yet of fearsome shadows. Overhead, the sky is lost beyond the locked and twisted branches of tall trees. And below, the black of night is pierced by the kill call of the lion, the sharp hysterical laugh of the hyena, the shuddering whimpering of a group of natives shivering about the campfire. Three white men, their rifles across their knees, stare out into the surrounding blackness. If you want to know what I think, I think you fellas are batty. You've been out here too long. 
You've let a lot of native gossip get under your hide. Now, wait a minute, Jack. I haven't seen this thing. The natives who have seen it say it's a black leopard. I've only seen its tracks. And they're enormous. Bigger than any lion spore I've ever seen. I set a trap for the brute last night. It didn't go off. And this morning I went to take a look at it. It had been set off by hand. Uh, one of the natives probably set it off. Do you think any one of the natives would come out here after dark with almost a dozen of their brothers lying back there mangled so that you can't tell they were other human beings? <laughs> Not on your life. Irrespective of what it is, we've got to kill it. For the natives will pack up and leave the village. You can't convince them that it is known the copper, the witch doctor. But it's so silly. The idea that just because they expelled the witch doctor, that he should turn himself into a black leopard and come back to kill them one by one. Why, it's silly. Maybe it is silly. But look at it from their standpoint. Old Nakapa, who's 70 if he's a day, wants to marry the village belle. Casts a spell on her. In a week, she's dead. Jack will say that's coincidence. Yes, because he hasn't been out here as long as we have. In any case... The villagers drive old Nakapa out of the village. He curses them and the village and tells them that he'll return in the form of a wild beast and kill them one by one. And the next night, one of them is mauled by a black panther. And the night after that, and after that, and after that, till ten of them have been killed. Laugh that off, will you? Uh, coincidence. Listen, I'm willing to accept one or two as coincidence, but ten... Well, that's different. Why not ten? If the brute's got a taste for human flesh, why not the whole village? If he's a man-eating panther... There's a subtle distinction between a panther and a leopard. Leopards are not man-eaters. And why only the men? Since even a wild animal knows that the women are easier to get. Ah, you're jittery, that's all. What's that? Yeah, you're not jittery, are you? Well, that's probably a wild parrot. That's a parrot rot. Then you name it. You've heard it twice. Name it. Well, I, I can't. I, I never heard anything like it. Buona. Buona. Yes, Nichi. He come. That Nakapa. You hear him? Nakapa give witch doctor call of death. Now, that, that scream we heard was the witch doctor? You heard what Nichi said. <laughs> come on, come on. Time we're getting weight and fire. Yes, Nichi. Yes, Buona. Well, boy, who afraid? Follow me. Lie quiet by fire. No move, no speak. Only lie quiet. Yes, Buena. Me tell him, number one. All right, fellas, follow me. We'll get on to the trail. Forcing their way through the dense underbrush, the three white men, followed closely by their gun bearers, worked their way to the animal trail. The jungle has become strangely still at the horrifying shrieks of the witch doctor, almost as though brute beasts, though they were, they voiced silent disapproval of anything so brutish. The party pushes on, their general direction toward Bennett Abelay. Suddenly, holding up his hand for silence, Frank stops then points to a yawning black hole in the already black jungle. A pair of gleaming eyes, a streak of glistening white below, the foam-flecked jaws of a maddened animal. Take careful aim. You, Bill, after me, and you, Jack, take the brute if he lives to the right. Right, okay. okay. Again. It's gone. And I know I so hit did it. did I. Come on, let's hurry. Look here, the tracks. Come here, quick. What is it? We did hit it. Look. Somebody's shot took effect. What? That shot part of its jaw away. Warner! Warner! Come on, come on, it's at the village. 
Even the dicks know there's something not quite right. Beats me how the brute can run at all. It must be more than half dead. If it gets into the compound, we'll have no difficulty finding it. We'll be at the compound in a moment. Buona, Buona. Yes, Nietzsche. Here, Buona. Here is training again. My gosh, he's right. Look, headed this way. What on earth does a half-dead animal want to come this way for? It has to cross the whole length of the compound before it can reach jungle again. Take it easy now, fellas. We're at the end of the trail. Bleeding pretty badly now. The spore's soaking. All right. I'll go first. And no foolhardiness. No hasty shooting. Frank, look. The trail leads right to your bungalow. I know it. Stand back. I'm going first. Went into the living room. Look out when you go through the opening. This is the... Jack stops dead. His eyes start from his head. The bloody paw marks cross the bare wood floor and end before a huge oak chest. He points and stutters. But it isn't here. Yes, it is. Got your forty-five, ready, Bill? Yes. Stand on the left side of the chest. You, Jack, in front. I'll open it. On tiptoe and in silence, the three men take their places. The native boys crouch in the open doorway. Taking his forty-five in his left hand, Frank slowly opens the heavy lid of the chest. A gasp of horror escapes them. Incredulously, Jack leans farther forward and stares into the chest. Sprawled like some nightmarish monster, half his jaw shot away, lies Nakapa, the witch doctor. The horror of Benadabele. Dead. In just a moment, you will hear a solution to the mystery of the horror of Benadabele. Inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and character have been taken with the solution for which you have been waiting. The scene is Frank Hilton's bungalow one hour later. The natives have disposed of the horror, and the three white men are seated at the table while Nietzsche, the native boy, serves them something to steady their nerves. Well, Jack, what have you to say now? Nothing. I, I want to forget it. You won't. Not as long as you live. But it's impossible. I expect to wake up any minute and find it's all a nightmare. Yes, and every time you think of it, you'll do the same thing. In spite of the fact that I was here, I still don't believe Oh, it. it's true, all right. This isn't my first experience with one of the things. No, and not Bill's either. You'll get used to it if you live here long enough. Not me. I'll take my chances elsewhere. What, what would you call it? Never mind what I call it. Science calls it lycanthropy. Science? Does science recognize what we just saw? Yes. Lycanthropy is, first in folklore, the liability of a person to turn into an animal, and secondly in pathology, the belief of a person that he or she is some sort of an animal. Sort of insanity? Yes. The idea is this. 
that the person who through mental maladjustment begins to think like an animal will, when removed from the company of human beings, actually turn into an animal. But it's impossible. Humanly impossible. Biologically impossible. Yeah. Take a look at this. I've had the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yes, I had it copied. As a pathological state, it is characterized by the patient's belief that he has been metamorphosed into an animal and is often accompanied by craving for strange articles of food, including the flesh of human beings or corpses. But when he leaves the neighborhood of a man, real metamorphosis may be asserted. Pleasant sort of idea, isn't it? It's ghastly. My common name is werewolves. But wolves are by no means the only animal. The Britannica states further. In Java, we meet with a were-tiger. In South America, the were-jaguar. In Abyssinia, generally a woman and in the form of hyena or leopard. And this is the world in which we live. Yes. Shakespeare expressed it admirably when he wrote... There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamed of in our philosophy. Unsolved Mysteries. Out of deference to persons who may still be living, character names in some of these true unsolved mysteries have been changed. Few mysteries can compare in their intrigue with those mysteries that deal with the mind. And he is bold indeed who says that he understands that realm in which the mind holds sway, as witness the extraordinary case of the hypnotist. The scene is a famous newspaper correspondent's home in New York. 
The occasion? The publishing of a book. A book dealing with better than 20 years of headline hunting. And Bob Howard, the newspaper man, is entertaining a few friends at dinner. Most of the guests linger over their coffee, but Jim Watson, another newspaper man, stands by the window looking at the new book. I say, Bob, I don't find my favorite story in here. Didn't you send it in? Yes, I did, but, well, it was leave it out and not get the book published. What do you mean, Bob? Well, my publisher said that they didn't believe the story, and they were sure the public wouldn't, and so, as I said, I either had to leave out the story or try to get some other publishing house to print it. But you have plenty proof that the thing happened. And that's what I thought. But do you realize that there was no official record ever kept of the affair, and most of the men who were concerned are dead? I suppose that's true. It's a shame, though. That was a swell story. Hey, what is this story? I'd like to hear it. So would I. Go ahead, Bob. I can always stand hearing it again. Well, it will certainly give you plenty to think about. It was during the war, and I was assigned to cover the Palestine front. What with fever and everything, the British losses had been heavy. And all the way from the ancient city of Gaza to the Damascus Gate, the Turks were in a very good defensive position. I'd never sent any news dispatches to my paper that the commanding officer hadn't put his okay on. And the result was that I was in on quite a few conferences. It was night, typical oriental night, and the staff officers were seated in the old man's tent discussing the situation. As the situation is now, gentlemen, we daren't advance. Just how many of these fever and dysentery cases will be ready for active duty in the next 30 days, I don't know. We'll hear later on that. The person will be over from the hospital with a report. But the main thing is we don't want to spend the hot weather here. The Turks are firmly entrenched, and yet... We don't want to retreat. No possibility of reinforcement, sir? Not a chance. They need all they can get on the Western Front. Well, if we could only get behind them at, say, uh, LJ. Yes, Colonel, if we could, but we can't. And hoping won't change it. Colonel McPherson reporting, sir. Yes. Well, Mac, what is the medical report? Uh, Frazier can't count on very many, sir. Not for 90 days, at least. Those cases are pretty bad, but... Yes, Mac? We'll uh, hesitate to tell you this, but... We've just had a... Well, something happened. Yes, go ahead. But I'd rather you come over to the hospital yourself and see for yourself, sir. All of us? Yes. Yes, I'm a doctor, but there's something happened over there that... that I don't know anything about. Fifteen minutes later, the staff officers are seated in the medical officer's tent. Through the mosquito netting, the long rows of cots are barely visible in the dim light of a lantern swinging from the tent pole. Colonel McPherson enters the tent, and behind him a nurse. A nurse? Uh, will you send one of the orderlies for Achmet? Yes, sir. And uh, have the uh, patient move to the officer's tent? Yes, sir. Uh, gentlemen, you know we've been trying to do something for these shell-shocked cases. You know, these fellows who can't turn to the left or to the right or who can't sit down without someone assisting them. You know the type. Of course we do. Well, recently we've been trying hypnosis, and Achmet the Persian has been very successful. But tonight... Here is Achmed, Colonel. Oh, splendid, splendid. Uh, come this way, gentlemen. Yes, certainly. Right. Uh, gentlemen, this is Achmed. Achmed has studied medicine at Hamadan, and he has studied hypnosis under under the famous German scientist who has taken a rest cure at Anzali. Here is the patient, sir. Oh, oh yes, yes. And the hospital records. Uh, thank you, nurse. Uh, know the records. Name, Brown. Rank, Corporal. Regiment... Army Service Corps Mechanical Transport. Classification, driver. That all correct? Yes, sir. Uh, where were you born? I was born in South Kensington, sir. Uh, you talk no foreign languages? Not me, sir. Not a blooming one, sir. Uh, you're perfectly willing to be placed under hypnosis by Dr. Achmet? Yes, sir. How is, sir? All right, Achmet. You will sit down 
here, please. Now, close your eyes. Now, breathe deeply. Achmet runs his slender fingers over Brown's forehead. The tenseness leaves Brown's body, and with a sigh, almost a sigh of relief, Brown settles back in the chair. Fascinated, the officers watch Ahmed, who steps back, folds his arms, and fixes his gaze steadily on the man in the camp chair. Your name? Cedric. You know where you are? In the Holy Land. You know why you are here? To destroy the unchristian Saracens. Who is your leader, Richard? Good heavens, he he thinks he is in the crusade. Quiet, do not get him excited, please. Thank you. Now, Cedric, tell me, do you know this territory? Yes, every inch of it. Think. Deeply, is there another road leading to Elgi? Yes. Get the parchment and pens, and I will show. It lies beyond Elman. But parchment, I will show you. Paper and pencil is placed before him. With eyes staring ahead and seeing nothing, Brown takes the pencil and begins tracing lines on the paper. Amazement fills the faces of the officers as the map takes shape. They hold their breath as the pencil stops. Here, hidden among the red sandstone rocks, lies the other road to Elgi. The other road to Elgi. And victory. What an amazing story. I I can hardly believe it. Well, it is amazing. And the amazing part of it was that the rough map that Brown drew that night covered most of the territory that was fought over during the finish of the war. And the map was accurate? Accurate enough for the British to use in getting to Elgin? It certainly was. In less than 24 hours, columns of infantry had moved into the red sandstone defile and Johnny Turk realized too late that ancient Gaza was not, as they had supposed, an impregnable city. Then was this Brown a reincarnation of Cedric? Oh, I hardly think so. No, I don't believe that is the explanation. Then you have an explanation. Not my explanation, but I can assure you that I went searching for one. In just a moment, you will hear a solution to the mystery of the hypnotist.
Ladies and gentlemen, inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and character have been taken in the solution for which you've been waiting. The scene is once again the home of the newspaper correspondent, Bob Howard, who continues his story. Well, quite possibly, if someone had told me the story, I would not have believed it. But here I was, sitting there, listening to an uneducated mechanical transport driver, speaking in the voice and personality of a man called Cedric, who'd undoubtedly served in the Crusades under Rich and the Lionhearted. There was no possible way in which the transport driver could have known of that defile through the mountain? Not a chance. Even our intelligence didn't know of it. Although later on we did find a Bible student who pointed out that the children of Israel had used the defile in their fight against the Canaanites. You said that you uh, went searching for an explanation. Yes, and found that there were other instances of similar happenings. The solution would seem to be that the spirit of this Cedric, who may have been killed in the Crusades, still lingered on in that vicinity after death. You mean that the spirit of the departed Cedric could remain in that place through all these hundreds of years? Yes. If you admit an external existence after death, then there's nothing remarkable in the spirit being there for hundreds of years, any more so than that spirit remaining there for only a few hours. Well, I suppose that's true, all right. Now, the hypnotist, in placing the transport driver in a trance, removed from him all control of his brain and left his mind a condition into which the mind of Cedric could, for a time, enter. So that the mind of this Cedric could use the voice of the transport driver to make known his identity and also his knowledge of the territory. Yes, I found out in my investigations that there had been a similar happening in France. And as a matter of fact, right now in Hollywood, California, a group of medical men are investigating a young boy who not only seems to be the reincarnated brain of a long-dead Persian, but this boy can, while blindfolded, read and do almost anything that he can when he is not blindfolded. Yes, it was his ability to do things blindfolded that first attracted the doctors to examine him. Yes. And if it were not for that fact, the medical men probably would scoff at the reincarnation idea. I mean, the idea that this boy could have any connection with a Persian long dead. Well, it certainly gives one something to think about. Yes, makes me wonder who and where I was in some dim... Unsolved Mysteries.
Out of deference to people who may still be living, character names in some of these unsolved mysteries have been changed. No tale from beyond the frontier of mysterious Tibet or from the depths of dark Africa is more weird than tonight's unsolved mystery, laid in California. A mystery which, for downright eeriness, rivals the imaginative writings of an Arthur Conan Doyle. war correspondent's home in Hollywood, California. A group of guests seated comfortably on the wide veranda watch the twinkling lights of the film colony. And every so often the stabbing finger of a giant searchlight cuts the deep blue of the sky and loses itself in the unfathomable spaces beyond. A prominent motion picture director sweeps his arm over the scene as he turns from the veranda rail to face the group. <laughs> oh, I know everything's swell in Hollywood, but sometimes I'd like to get away from it all. Go someplace to rest where no one would ask any questions and where I could be alone. And where no one would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, instead of being asked questions and telling people what to do, I'd like to ask a few questions myself. Uh, but would you like having someone tell you what to do? Uh, you've been an important director for a long time now. <laughs> Taking orders from someone else might not be so easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to try it. Yeah, it's getting late. I guess we ought to be letting you get to bed, Bill. Oh, don't mind me. After all, I can get up when I like. I don't have to be on the lot at dawn. But we really ought to be going. Come on, Bob. I'll get you a wrap. Uh, wait behind a minute when the others are gone, Bill. Righto. Uh, good night, Bill. As always, we've had a swell of time. Uh, good night. <laughs> good night, Bill. Good night, Bill. Sit down, Bill. Oh, why so serious, Bill? I want to talk to you. Yes? Listen, old man. If you don't let up, you're going to crack. You can't go on the way you've been doing, working almost night and day, turning out super colossal. Oh, I'm not being sarcastic. Everybody knows that you're the director. But even genius must have a rest. Hey, yes, Bill, you're right, but I... Wait. You said a few moments ago that you'd like to go somewhere where you'd do the questioning, where you'd be ordered about. Mm, and I mean it. I wasn't just talking. Well, I'll tell you where to go. But you must make me a promise. Yes? I'll promise. When I've told you, you must go. And you must go with no idea of personal profit or gain. No idea of using what you may find for picture material. Else, I don't know what might happen to you. I promise. Several years ago, I read a book called A Dweller on Two Planets. The man who did the physical writing claimed that one whom he called the master stood by his shoulder and dictated the entire book. I checked into the thing and found that the author was only a young boy at the time the work was done. He would have hardly had the necessary experience to write such a book. So I investigated further. I've read the book, uh, written by Philos. Yes. Well, I also saw an article printed in a prominent Metropolitan Daily. The writer had gone to the slopes of Mount Shasta 
and had discovered there the same type of people that Phylus had written of in his dweller on two planets. Seems to me that I read something in the Times about strange, unaccountable lights being seen from the region of Mount Shasta. Right. And so, all in all, being a newspaper man and of an inquisitive turn of mind, I went there. You did? Yes. I got to Dunsmere in Northern California about ten in the morning. Soon after, began making my way towards the slopes of Mount Shasta. I had a strange feeling. A feeling of expectancy. There was a deep silence, except for the singing of birds and the sound of a waterfall. I'd been sitting on a rock. Oh, I don't know how long. When... My son, do you seek knowledge? I... What? Well, where are you? At your side. Oh, now I see you. What was that you said? It is of no matter. You are a newspaper man? Yes, I am. But you would also seek the truth? Well, to be quite frank, I read quite a bit about the masters of Mount Shasta, and I wanted to find out for myself. That was known to us. I have come here to speak with you. Yes. Certain things will be disclosed to you, but you must not use these disclosures in your newspaper work. For the benefit of mankind, you may use them, but for profit, no. It is a testament between us? Yes, I swear it. We go now to the temple. Temple? What temple? The temple of enlightenment. It is before you. But there is no temple. There was no temple. I, I can't believe my eyes. There it is, all gleaming white. My son, my son, many things cannot be explained. You would have to stay among us for many years. But at least tell me this. Who are you and where did you come from? We have been here always. But, but why don't other people see you? Other people do see us, my son. The visitors, the vacationists to the mountains see us. But to each is disclosed only what he wishes to see. To the tourist looking for the barefoot hermit... I am the barefoot hermit. To him who looks for a man grown old among the mountains, that is what I am. To the seeker after truth, I am a guide, the servant of the master. But that still doesn't tell me who you are. Or... Some foolish ones think that we are descendants of the lost tribes of Atlantis. We were before Atlantis was. You, you mean... That you're centuries old, that you never die. Death, my son, is but an illusion. Your friends in Hollywood who cannot see you, to them, you might as well be dead. But they know I'm not. They know I'm away on a trip. And should you decide to forsake the world and stay with us, what then would your friends think? They'd think, well, uh, that I'd suffered a lapse of memory or something. And should the years pass and still you did not return... They would then think you dead. But you would not be. You would be with us. I see what you mean. Things are comparative, aren't they? Yesterday, today, tomorrow, they are one in infinity. In the great scheme of things, they are not separable. Look, if you would understand more clearly, look in the pool. In the pool? Yes, at your feet. Well, I'll be. My house. And Val sitting there on the veranda. He's talking to someone. 
But there's no one there. He is talking to you, my son. But, but I'm here. But he believes that you are there. Oh, I see now. Yes, I'm there. And the friends of the other evening, the night I made up my mind to come here. But a bare moon pass. If you can do that, let me see into the future. No, my son. I'm not afraid. No, I have spoken. Come, there is much to see. It's impossible to tell you of everything I saw and was told while I was there. Time meant nothing. What I'd left behind me in Hollywood meant nothing. I remember sitting thinking, and then looking up to find myself seated on the same rock I'd been sitting on that day the master first spoke to me. Oh, you awoke to find yourself seated at the same spot. Awoke? What do you mean? Well, wasn't the whole thing a dream brought on by what you had anticipated? That's what I thought at first. An extraordinarily vivid and realistic dream. But when I returned to the hotel, a few surprises awaited me. Yes? In the first place, I found that I'd been gone 90 days. What? The hotel people told me that I'd returned to the hotel, paid my room for 90 days, and told them I was going away for a time. Was that when you sent me word that you wouldn't be back in town as early as you expected? I never sent you any word. But, Bill, you sent telegrams to Watkins, to Ruth, to Simpkins, and me. You mean that you all received telegrams, but I didn't send them. But that's impossible, man. Fantastic. Perhaps. But you go to Shasta, or to Dunsmuir, and look at the telegraph company's files. You won't find any originals there. And here, let me show you something. What? This check. Look at it. It's the check the hotel people said that I gave them. It looks all right to me. Your signature all right. Did you ever see ink as black as that? Well, no, Hold I... Hold the check up to the light. Can you detect any signs of the scratch of a pen? No, I admit that, that I... That check, Val, was never taken from my checkbook. I didn't write it. It's a sample of the master's powers of materialization. But there must be some explanation. Yes, I think there is. And I'll try to give it to you. In just a moment, you will hear a solution to the Mount Shasta mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and characters have been taken in this solution for which you have been waiting. Well, Bill, what about that explanation? In the first place, do you think it's possible to think of the impossible? Uh, let me see if I follow you. Can I imagine the impossible? 
No, I don't believe I can. The very fact that I can think of something makes that something possible. If you believe in the power of mind over matter... Well, as far as I'm concerned, mind is all-powerful. Now, let's look at biology for an instant. Every so often, a specimen is found that is a definite link between some animal alive today and some other animal that's been extinct for centuries. I see your drift. You mean that these people are a link between us and some long-dead people who possess powers we don't know how to use? Yes. If you read Colonel Churchward's book on Mew, you will find logical arguments in favor of the theory that the Lemurians migrated to the North American continent. And that some of them landed to the south and became the ancient Mayas. Right. And the ancient Mayas certainly had something that we don't possess, as did the ancient Egyptians. Yes, we're all too inclined to think of America as a land inhabited by nothing but warlike Indians before it was settled. Only the other day, a skeleton was found near the Labrae Pit in Los Angeles. And scientists have agreed that it is not less than 15,000 years old. So isn't it possible that descendants of these ancient peoples still live in isolated parts of the country? And not liking our modern civilization, they simply withdraw from it? That's it. After my experience, you can hardly blame me for believing that a strange people do live on the slopes of Mount Shasta. Providence is a phrase so carelessly used today as to have almost lost the very significance of its meaning. But at no time has it held so much meaning as in the true historical case of the Crown versus John Applegate, as reported in the Newgate calendar. Sessions Court of the County of Middlesex. The courthouse fronts the village green, 
and the holiday attire of the villagers, the laughter of children, and the entire atmosphere is one of gaiety, a gaiety almost beyond our comprehension, since the occasion of it is a murder trial. Laughter gives way to excited chattering. Dame rumor has it that the jury have reached a verdict. Justice Selden, white-wigged and black-gowned, mounts to the bench. The small square of black cloth lying ready to the session's clerk's hand rivets the prisoner's eyes as he's marched to the dock. Hear ye, hear ye, the second court of the county of Middlesex now in session. Chief Justice Selden presiding. All stand while the justice and the jury have taken their places in the court. Know ye then, John Applegate, that ye must face the jury and prepare to abide by their verdict. How say ye, gentlemen of the jury, ye find the prisoner guilty or not guilty? We find the prisoner, John Applegate, guilty of murder, as charged in the indictment read by the session's clerk. John Applegate, ye have heard the verdict returned against ye. Have ye anything to say why the sentence of death should not be carried out upon you? Your Honor, I'm not guilty. I swear it. I was never at the Rose and Thistle Tavern. I never saw the murdered man. I, I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. Five men and four women have identified you. You say that you spent the night in company with a gentleman of quality. But no gentleman, either quality or of the common, has come forward to, to bear your witness. I don't know who he was, Your Honor. I never saw him before. I, I only know I'm not guilty. John Applegate, hear this. The sentence of death is to be carried out upon you. You shall be taken from this place to the place whence you came and thence to the public gallows where you shall be hanged by the neck until you be dead, dead, dead. And may Almighty God have mercy upon your soul. Amen. In those days, public hangings were regarded as a legitimate entertainment, and the old men loitering around the gallows being erected by the public executioner and his assistants discussed previous hangings they had attended. In his dank cell, John Applegate prays incessantly for deliverance. His stuttered broken sentences punctuated by the dull, ominous thud of the carpenter's hammers as the gallows grows stick by stick, beam by beam, and nail by nail. needs rise this early. I don't know, sir, but you did say, sir, that you had to get to the village early. Uh, so be it. So be it. Uh, if I did, I did. Uh, but I swear that it's beyond me. I don't know a thing of it. Katie. Katie, have you waked the master? Yes, Miss Carrot. He'll be down directly. I don't know what's wrong with him, Miss Katie. What do you mean, wench? He swears that he doesn't remember giving us orders to wake him early. Ah, he's half asleep yet. Wait till he wakes. He'll remember. Come now. Hurry and set table. Yes, Miss Janet. And remember, wench, though breakfast be in the middle of the night, pewter must be cleaned properly. Yes, Miss Janet. I swear, 
I don't know what this is all about. I never said that I wanted to be about at three in the morning. Hi, you've forgotten, sir. You came to my room last night, waked me and said, Janet, I want breakfast at three. I must needs get to the village before nine. Yes, but I have nothing to go to the village for. You, Katie, when did I tell you that I must rise early? Last night, sir. Late it was, sir. Oh, I was fast asleep and you came and knocked on the door. You said, uh, Katie, I must be up and about at dawn. I'll break fast at three. You've forgotten, sir. Come, master. Breakfast is ready. Odds fish, I haven't forgotten it. I, I tell you, I, I've not to go to the village today. Horse be saddled and ready, master. What's this? You too, Jacob? Me too. What ails ye, master? Did I waken you two in the middle of the night and tell you that I must be to the village this morning early? Indeed, and that you did, master. Don't you remember? I told you it was foolish, like, to be coming down to the stables in the cold of the night with no coat on your back. Arts fish. Uh, it seems that I must have done. Yes, master. You said that the best horse must be saddled and ready for the road at three. Come, master. You're not eating enough. If you're for the road, you can set saddle better on a full stomach. Uh, Jacob. Yes, master. I never go to the stables in my slippers. No, master. Then if I did last night, uh, there will be traces on the slippers. Bring them to me. Yes, master. It seems that I must, whether I will or not, be off to the village. I would that the good Lord would tell me what for, for I... Have no idea. Aye, but you'll remember, Master, when you're on your way. Sounds. You act as if my memory were leaving me. The slippers, Master. And clean as a hound's tooth and dry as a bone, I'll be bound. Yes, Master. This smacks of witchery. Uh, but I'll go. I'll go to the village and see what befalls. Come, Bess. Get up. Come on. Down the dark highway rides Kingsley. A strange feeling, half fear, half anxiety drives him on. And ever and anon, he mutters to himself about the foolishness of the journey. Three hours later, the horse's pace slackens. The horse knows that around the next turn is the toll bridge, which he must cross to complete the journey to the village. What a fool I am. The bridge will be closed. Locked tight, and old Jerry doesn't open it till nigh on nine. Mr. Kingsley, sir! Mr. Kingsley, is that you? Jerry! Jerry! Is it you, Jerry? Ride on, master! Ride on! The bridge is open! There he is! There he is! Riding the horse! The man, the gentleman of quality I was with the night of the murder. Oh, praise to God, sir. You've saved my life. And so John Applegate did not hang. Mr. Kingsley, gentleman of quality, identified Applegate as having been with him far from the scene of the murder. So firmly did Applegate believe that Providence had intervened because of his prayers that he forsook the world and retired to a monastery, where until his death he was called Brother Jonathan the man whom God had saved. 
Out of deference to people who may still be living, character names in some of these unsolved mysteries have been changed. Inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and characters have been taken. In just a moment, you will hear a solution to the toll bridge mystery. gentlemen, the solution for which you have been waiting. Do you mean to say that you have an explanation of the toll bridge mystery? I believe I have. Of course, you understand that I'm not an authority on the subject, but in consulting writings by world authorities, such as Manhood of Humanity by Alfred Korsibsky, the files of the London Society of Psychical Research and others, I've formed a definite opinion. I see. In the first place, Further investigation of the mystery disclosed that the toll bridge keeper, old Jerry, had been uh, warned about 12 the night before by Mr. Kingsley and told that he would be wanting to cross the bridge about 7 in the morning. But didn't the toll gatekeeper think that strange? I mean the idea of Mr. Kingsley riding that three-hour trip at midnight and turning around to ride home again? Well, naturally he thought it strange, but the very strangeness of it provides the solution. I, uh, I don't quite follow you. Well, don't you see, it was impossible for Mr. Kingsley to be at the toll gate at midnight and at the same time waken Janet, Katie, and Jacob, the groom. Yes, of course. Kingsley couldn't have got home till three. It is accepted by many, and I think justifiably, that wishing precedes thinking, and wish forms precede thought forms. Now, Applegate, lying in jail and knowing that he was innocent, was wishing to be saved. That's natural. Applegate knew that the only person who could save him was the, as he said, gentleman of quality who would provide him with his alibi. He concentrated his every thought, his every wish on Kingsley, although he didn't know him. Since mind is everywhere, Kingsley's subconscious was aware of the dire straits of the man Applegate. And these thoughts, in turn, were directed toward the persons necessary to assist Kingsley in getting to the village. In other words... Applegate's direct thoughts were taken into partnership with Kingsley's subconscious thoughts. And Katie, Janet, Jacob, and the toll bridge keeper were awakened by the strength of these thought waves rather than by the physical appearance of Kingsley himself. Yes. And you must not lose sight of the fact that neither Katie, Janet, Jacob, or the toll bridge keeper had any suspicion that there was an execution impending, much less that their friend and master, Mr. Kingsley, had anything whatever to do with it. That is the final proof that the entire thing hinged on thoughts rather than anything physical. Mm -hmm. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.